scripture for today. Okay, uh, it's from Matthew 5, verse 13 to 16. It's titled Salt and Light. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Hey, good to be with you guys again. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. Under pressure. <laughs> It's no, no it's ice baby. Ice ice baby all the way. Okay. No, it's it's not ice ice baby. What it is, is an amazing song by Queen called Under Pressure that was hijacked and totally ruined and destroyed by this goofy rap artist in the 80s named Vanilla Ice. Now, here's why I tell you that, because tonight, this passage that we're going to look at is all about the Christian witness. And there may be nothing more that's around the church that has been hijacked and ruined by people standing outside, you know, the Coliseum with huge billboards and signs and megaphones, you know, in the beginning, God, and throwing tracks at you and saying stuff on the news and putting out stuff on TV and podcasts that makes you rather embarrassed to even think about following Jesus. And what that is, amazing, beautiful thing, the witness of the church has often been hijacked by Christians. We're doing all semester of this idea of clarifying Christianity for us in this time and place where everything's confusing and even the Christian faith seems vague from those who are uh, in, the, in the spotlight with it. And so tonight I wanna clarify sort of the Christian witness by looking at what Jesus has to say about how we should re relate to and be influenced and influence the culture around us. Now, uh, some of us immediately are uncomfortable with this, that we, uh, we're still sort of in the phase of thinking religious beliefs are things that we should keep private and not push on other people. But notice what Jesus says in the text when he says, you are the light of the world. He doesn't say, go be the light of the world. He doesn't say, begin uh, to start a light. He's saying, you do have a relationship with the world. You are sharing something. And really, let's be self-aware and honest about how the world is going. The idea of keeping our beliefs to ourselves is something no one practices anymore in the world. If you've watched the Oscars the past three years, I mean, people get their award and they don't get up and go, oh, I've worked so hard for this, this amazing thing. They're like, yeah, 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 that statue. But this social belief, if you guys don't start believing in this and practicing it, we're the worst society ever. Everyone is taking beliefs and not just keeping them private anymore, but saying this needs to go out and influence and shape the world that we're living in. So everybody's doing this. So why is this text important? Well, if you're a Christian, you're at USC. And uh, we love USC, and uh, I am uh, so thankful each semester to be at the school. But if you're a believer in Jesus, there's not a lot of people around you 
who believe and uphold your beliefs. And you need more than anything in college to learn how to exist and be in relationship with people around you who don't share the same beliefs. And as a community, this text helps you and I understand why we're here. Why does RUF even exist at USC? We, we exist to be a light on the campus. We exist to bring uh, light into dark places for healing. So let's learn this tonight. Let's learn about our relationship and influence on the culture around us and clarify the Christian witness by looking at two things. One, the metaphor, uh, you are the salt of the earth, and two, the other metaphor that you are the light of the world. So let's look at the salt and the light that we're called to be. First, the salt. Look at verse 13. Jesus says this, you are the salt of the earth. That's not a singular thing for you. It's sort of plural, like you all. Y'all are the salt of the earth. What does that mean? Well, salt was not used at that time for seasoning. It was a preservative. So if you bought meat uh, at the market, you know, they didn't have refrigerators and they didn't have freezers or anything like that. So you would buy your meat with something um, like a salt that you would want to put on the, the meat to preserve it for longer than a day. And so when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, he's saying that a Christian community, what it's supposed to do, what it's supposed to be is, is in the same way that salt preserves a piece of meat from decaying and dying and rotting. A group of Christians is supposed to be in the world protecting and delaying and slowing down the decay of the world. The place in Romans 8, it's in Romans 8.20, where the Apostle Paul is sort of unfolding uh, the, the global scope of salvation. And he says, uh, the creation, this world, and the communities that live in it, it is subject to futility and decay. That is, the Bible has this view of our world physically and in culture that it is sort of spiraling down into decay, more and more into death, more and more into inwardness, more and more into darkness. And the call of Christians is to slow down that decay. One of the things that uh, I don't get to do very often, but I love it when I'm invited to go do it, is to fly fish. If you've never done it, the two most common fish that you can do this with are trout and salmon. And a trout is typically what I fish for, but the way you fish for that is you stand downstream and you watch for currents and you throw your line in, because what a, a, a trout does is it swims down the current uh, down the stream. But a salmon uh, swims up the current. It swims against the current up to the top of the river. And the reason it's doing that is because it's trying to get back to the place that it originally spawned. So what a salmon does is it swims up current so that it can go back and make life. And what Jesus says that a Christian community is supposed to do is to swim against the current of the world. Why? So that it can go back to the place to begin to make life still happen in the world. And how do we do this? Well, it's preserved. It, uh, the salt happens through the distinction. That's why Jesus says, if the salt loses its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? He's saying, look, if we don't have a distinction amongst us, then we cease to be really a Christian community. That is, if personally, if, if there's nothing distinct about you and those around you, the question of, are you a true disciple of Jesus, is on the table.
Now, this begins to feel very radical, uh, like if you're not attuned to the Christian life, wondering if the invitation to the Christian life means that being the salt of the earth is to be this like radical person who just like sells everything and goes and lives in Skid Row, and you never look at a computer again, and uh, you resist all money, and you only eat breadcrumbs, and you don't do anything that's in the, the bad parts of the culture. No. It's not somebody who just only does spiritual things all day. Being the salt of the earth is, in a way, very subtle. I mean, think about Jesus' illustration with salt. I mean, nobody goes to a, a restaurant and says, man, have you been to that place on Melrose? The salt there is legit. No, it's, it's salt on anything is a very subtle thing that, that sort of quietly shows up to make something a little bit better than it was. Now, let me, let me apply that at here uh, for us in tw uh, 2020. Because the subtlety of being the salt of the earth at times will be quiet and other times it will be abrupt. If you look at American culture, and USC really is uh, in Los Angeles a, a, a microcosm to me, or the beginning, the foundations of all culture in America, and, and maybe even the world, we're really about three things money, sex, and power. Those are the values that dominate this place, that drive the way people spend their money, that drive the way that people aim for their career, that drive the way we work through social circles. You remember in uh, La La Land when um, Ryan Gosling just says, Los Angeles, LA, the city that worships everything, but it treasures nothing. Here's my question. Are you in any way distinct from that? those values and the way uh, that people typically go out from them. Is there anything, is it when people around you say, he goes about that in a little bit different way. He doesn't put the weight on that. She doesn't give all of herself to that the way that I'm tempted to give myself to that. Do we, are we known about something like that here at USC? Because what Jesus says a Christian community do will take values like money, sex, and power and say, we're gonna be a group of people that's gonna swim upstream against the, the endorsement of those kinds of values. That's the salt of the earth. But secondly, Jesus says, you are not just the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. Now, what does this mean for us to be the light of the world? Well, sociologists have sort of pointed out uh, across uh, academic uh, trends, that people who develop beliefs, especially religious beliefs, tend to do one of two things with their beliefs. They either uh, separate from the culture or they assimilate into the culture. Now, what do I mean? Well, those who separate, those are the people that have a fundamental belief that now that I know this and believe this, uh, I'm the good people, I'm part of the good crowd, and those who don't hold this, they're the bad people. So you begin to hold really hard lines of what you uh, believe and don't believe, hard and fast rules that can make you very judgy and exclusive. And when the idea of shining light is then proposed because of the for sure darkness that's on the outside of you, that light shining is like a bright flashlight in people's eyes. It's pressed up against them so bright that it's just almost blinding and it's never, ever helpful. But the other tendency is not just to um, separate, it's to assimilate. 
And that group does the exact opposite. That is, it doesn't say uh, we're the good and you're the bad. It says we're all good. The light is all just within us. And there are no rules. Uh, there is nothing that makes us uh, distinct or separate. In fact, you don't really have to believe anything to be a part of this. And so what it typically does is look at the, the culture and the rules and the values around it and just sort of assimilates so that any light that would come out of that group is so dim, it's like a, a, a light you know, in a room where the bulb is fading fast enough to the point it's not useful at all. But what Jesus says here is that light exists for the darkness. That's why he says a city on a hill cannot be hidden. See, what, what Jesus is saying here is so unique. It's not, it's not a separate, nor is it assimilate. It's being a light in the world, because what you do is you exist with uh, the belief of how the gospel works in the midst of places that don't believe and adopt the same thing. And it says the way that life will be lived will be a light for the darkness. And for those of us who say, well, that feels pushy and uncomfortable calling things that are darkness. Look in 2020, I mean, you have to sort of just echo the Abbott brothers when they say, I'm frightened, that the, like, that the darkness around us, I'm frightened by those who don't see it. Like, how, how can we see sort of the racial division and the political anger and the, the ongoing violence, the, the social exclusion, the poverty, the, the mental pain and isolation and say there is no darkness in our culture that needs light. But being the light of the world, it, it is taking the light of Jesus and his healing and it is taking it into the dark places in our culture and shining a beautiful redeeming light on us. Now, some of us still have aversions to this because we're overthinking this at times and over equating it with political beliefs. But the problem is, see, here's why people don't like the idea of Christians bringing light into darkness, is because we typically only think about this in political terms. But do you know what Christians believed in the early first century? Christians were known for seven things. And really seven things that they were distinctly known amongst the pagans and those Romans and the Greeks around them. Here's the seven things. One, they had a, a radical concern for the poor that made them uniquely generous. They just, they gave money and resources away like no one else had around them. Two, they practiced non-retaliation and forgiveness to the point that they were almost basically anti-war. Three, uh, they had a unique view of women where they empowered women and put women in leadership and esteemed places within their community that no one else did in the culture around them. Four, they had a deep concern for the equality of races. They said like being Jewish is not in, in any more distinct and unique and privileged in God's eyes than anything, but these will become one and there will be one people. Now, right, you pause right there and you think, oh, well, Christians are, uh, ah, they're progressive and they were liberal. And if you only stop there, see, you're thinking the light of the world is a political belief in, in 2020. But go further. Five, they were against abortion and killing babies. 
In the Greco-Roman world, if you had a baby and it was a girl, which would not prolong your family name, you could throw it out and no one would stop you. Christians often saved these babies and took them into homes and adopted them. Any kind of uh, abuse, though, they, they were against it. Six, sex was only for your spouse. I mean, if you think uh, sex is rampant in 2020 in American culture, it's nothing. In Corinth, there were public temples where orgies took place, and you could go there in the middle of the day and practice that. But Christians believe that that was only reserved for your unique spouse. Seven, they believe that Jesus was the only way to a relationship with God in the midst of an incredibly pluralist society. See, if you listen to those, you think, oh, these are some radical conservative people. But look, when you put those together, what they believed and what they thought about bringing light into darkness, it was off the map. It wasn't liberal and it wasn't conservative. It was like enough, it was everything that no one today even practices together. But they thought wherever there's brokenness, wherever there's pain, we will engage that. Jack Hayford said it well. He said, the call of the church has never been to be political analysts. We're called to be cultural catalysts who will act as salt and light. But there are dangers. See, salt, if you lose it too much, becomes embittering. If you sprinkle it, it can flavor it too much, though. Light is annoying if it glares in your face. In fact, if you try to push it away. But if you let the warm glow of a light show, people will come to it. I don't think Jesus called us to rub salt in people's wounds or to glare the light a foot from their eyes with a million candle power spotlight. He called us to be a warm glow of his love and the flavoring quality of his nature. God has not called me to be morally indignant. He's called us to be spiritually vibrant. And see, being a, the light of the world, it means you will be like and unlike a lot of the people around you. It doesn't mean that you stop doing normal practices like getting a career or going uh, to have a social life. It means the way that you do it is different, unique to the point there's a light and a glow upon you that's distinct upon a hill in a world where people say, hey, he cares about these things. He does a lot of the things that we do, but he does them or she does them differently. One author, he put it this way, being the light of the world, it means to, to practice a redemptive participation with the vision of Jesus. You know what that means? I mean, simply put, I think practically, it, it means you, you start living life with an idea of serving and giving more rather than taking and receiving and everything. Sometimes when uh, we hear this, there's a, an immediate excitement about what we need to do but it gets paralyzing because we wonder, how do we begin to do this? Well, practically, here's how you can begin to be the light of the world. Jesus says at the end of this text, they will see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Good works, uh, the Greek word there is beautiful. That is, people will see you do beautiful things, and that will be the unique light in the world. And the beautiful things, he'll tell us in the rest of this, this sermon. It's very practical, simple life stuff, like treating people different, not ghosting them, willing to put down your anger, willing to forgive, treating sex different, changing your treasures uh, in this world, treating substances differently, treating fun differently, uh, being spiritual 
uh, but not being a Pharisee who's annoying and just judging everybody and, and, and blasting your Facebook and all this stuff all the time. Like you have no interest in anything else in the world. It is very practical, but at times very subtle, but at other times bright in a way that people can see it distinct amongst the other practices in the midst of the culture around them. Well, let me close this way. You know what will hold you back from doing that? Probably the thing that will hold us back more than anything is our pride. Our pride of, of beginning to enter into community this way and being abandoned by the other communities that we desperately, desperately want to be a part of and be liked by. Or our pride of missing out on things that we swear in this world. See, but, but Jesus says in this text, you are the light of the world. But in John 8, he says, I am the light of the world. And here's the key to becoming salt and light, is that you cannot be salt and light until you yourself have experienced the salt and light from Jesus. See, this is the gospel in the nutshell, is that Jesus must first be salt to us and come to us with our pride and our tendencies to want to give ourselves to everything around us, to be noticed, uh, to be distinct, and want to save ourselves both through external deeds and through religion. And Jesus wants to come into our life and preserve us from giving ourselves to all sorts of things, both religious and irreligious, that will destroy us. But then he wants to come with the light glow of the gospel and be the light into our lives and say, listen, all of those things are not the way to life. I am the way to life. And you have to know, listen, he says, you will give glory to your father. See, Jesus doesn't come with this saying, listen here, get your act together and become the salt of the earth. He comes like a gentle savior with open arms and saying, listen, I was abandoned. I went to be salt and light for you and you trampled upon me. You wanted nothing to do with me. And my arms and my glow is still open to be this for you. No matter if you see it and you're still in darkness and you want to hide your darkness, my light will always be this gentle glow for you that's available for you in love, in forgiveness, in restoration, any time you want it, to the point where you can know on the cross when Jesus was abandoned in his light, it says there was darkness over the cross. You can know that when you become the light of the world that God will never, ever turn his back on you and you will never, ever, ever taste the darkness of his back. And you have to experience that with Jesus so that then in his love and freedom, you can go be set free to give your life to that and be the salt and light of the world. Hero of mine, minister in New York City, Tim Keller, he uh, told a story one time about this woman who came to him, up to him after a sermon, and she said, I have to tell you why I'm here. And he said, okay. She said, I have uh, not been in a church in a very, very long time. Uh, I have gone to... Uh, I've just sort of stayed agnostic for years. But a couple of months ago, I did something at work where I should have lost my job. I made a huge mistake and my boss, my supervisor covered for me. And he got really reprimanded, but he didn't lose his job because he had great job security. But he could have easily and justifiably said it was my fault because it was my fault, but he took the blame for me. And, uh, and I went to him and said, why did you do this? He said, well, you're a good worker. I enjoy having you around. And uh, 
you know, I, I, I didn't want you to get fired. She's like, no, 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 no. Like, why did you do this? And he said, well, I know that you provide for your family and it's a big deal for you to not lose this income. So I knew I wasn't gonna lose my job. So it's fine for me to, uh, to sort of just keep you around like this. I, I want you on this team. And she was like, no, 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 no. Listen, I have to know, no one has ever done anything like this to me. I've had lots of bosses who have taken credit for my good work, but I've never had a boss who took the blame for my mistake like this. And he said, okay, do you wanna know? And she said, yes, I really wanna know. He goes, okay, well, I go to this church here in New York where we talk almost every week about the grace of Jesus, how he took the blame for us in all of our sin, in all of our problems, in all of our mistakes when we wanted nothing to do with him. And so he gives us the gift of love and grace and salvation not because we deserve it, but because it's a gift of love. And that reality is so powerful for me that I had to take this into the other parts of my life. And she said, what kind of a church is that? And he said, one, that is salt and light in this city. And that is an example of what Jesus wants us to be and wants you to be and what kind of community we have got to be in this culture here at USC. And if we begin to live like that, I promise we will clarify Christianity more and more and more for our friends. Let me pray for us. Uh, Lord, would you help us to become who you were to us, which is salt and light and so gentle and kind and open and gentle and lowly for us in our pride and in our self-righteousness, would you heal us and protect us from that and protect us from the fears of missing out to be salt and light in this world that we may bring healing to a broken culture around us. Pray for those uh, who are skeptical of this, that you would help them, Lord, more and more find you attractive so that they may taste you and become a part of this story here in this world. Uh, be with us tonight and going forward in the rest of our week. In Jesus' name, amen.